Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. We are coming near the end of our study in the book of James. We just have a handful of verses left. Um, And so this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to be wrapping up this series. And so I want to give us a brief reminder of of where we've been and then let you know where we're going the next two, two weeks. And then we'll pray one more time together as we prepare to dive into this. So, man, we have covered a lot of ground in this series and if you've missed some of it or if you're new, that is okay. Like this morning, will, I, trust, trust me, it'll make sense. It'll stand on its own. Um, but the whole letter from James has been an encouragement for God's people to be steadfast, to endure, to hang in there because God is up to something in our lives. He's, he's calling us into wholeness and maturity, It's something he's doing miraculously in us. Like he heals us and he strengthens us. He produces this in us. But it's also something we participate in as we walk in relationship with him, as we obey the things he's inviting us into, we grow and we mature. And listen, it is really good that for, I think, several decades now, the church has really emphasized the grace of God, that his love meets you right where you are. Like, We never move past that. Our faith is rooted in that. The miraculous love of God that meets us where we are, we're saved and redeemed by his grace alone. And we just trust him for that. But throughout scripture, we're taught that as we come to Christ, as we are, as he rescues and saves us, that he invites us on a lifelong journey with him that brings wholeness and healing in our lives. And far too much of the American church is marked by people who've experienced the grace of God and have somehow just never gotten the message or stepped into this life of faithful discipleship where we grow into maturity. And so friends, there's a lot of hurt and struggle within the church and certainly outside of the church because there aren't enough of us followers of Christ who are maturing as he's called us to mature so we can now be the hands and feet of Jesus in our own community together and to a world that needs to see and experience Jesus. And so this isn't some legalistic thing, like it's easy to read James' letter and hear it through a legalistic lens. That's not it at all. It's a call to intimacy with Christ that produces maturity in our lives. Amen? So that's where we've been. So we covered a lot of ground in this. You know, things like not just being hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Not just hearing and agreeing, but hearing and doing. Um, We've talked about having a living and active faith. Um, We've talked about the power of our words. We've talked about the importance of being peacemakers, about committing our time to the Lord, our finances to the Lord. We've covered all this ground and territory. And so now as, as we're wrapping things up, you know, James is getting ready to blast through in just a few verses here, some really powerful statements. 
And whether you already know what's coming or not, as we read them, you know, if you've walked with the Lord at all, these are probably gonna be some verses that are very familiar to you. And in fact, several of these verses we're about to read, they're often quoted like individually. And, and I'm not opposed to that. Like I memorize verses and hold on to them and thank the Lord for them. And, but, but we hear them kind of individuals, like here's what you do when you're sick. You go to the elders and pray, right? And there's prayer of faith and the prayer of a righteous man does a lot. And like we hear these verses individually, but what I wanna invite you to do this morning is to hear this in the context of everything James has been saying. He's got just a few words left for the church. And he's calling us into something, I believe, he's calling us into something together. And so I encourage you to hear these words in the context of church community, all right? So I'm gonna read, actually, let me pray. And then let's invite the Lord to guide us in this as we read and study his word this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. Everything we have been celebrating um, the last several weeks and last weekend in particular, Jesus, your sacrificial love that rescues us, where we find forgiveness, where we find healing and wholeness, Jesus, thank you for your incredible sacrificial love. Thank you for resurrection life that we are now born into a lifelong and eternal relationship with you. And Jesus, it's not just, it's not just with, with you, our Savior, but it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our triune God. Thank you for the living relationship we have with you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we dive into your word this morning, God, would it, would it come alive in our hearts? Would it make sense to us? And Lord, may we participate in the life you're calling us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So our text this morning is James chapter five, verses 13 through 16. Um, I also wanna say up front, this is part 11 of what will be a 12-part series but I, I really feel like this Sunday and next Sunday are like their own little mini series, parts one and two of a little mini series. And this is a mini series about um, a powerful and effective community of believers, a powerful and effective community of believers. That's what we're talking about the next two weeks. Let's read James five, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I, I would, I've already kind of set the tone for this, but I just wanna make the case here that James isn't just listing various anecdotes related to prayer and faith. 
that we should just take kind of piecemeal and apply in our lives individually. Instead, I believe that he is wrapping up this letter on steadfast endurance, and he wants to encourage us that there is great power in a prayerful and caring community of faith. I'm gonna say that again. In fact, I might repeat it multiple times this week and next. If you're a note taker, this is the part you write down. (laughs) There is great power in prayerful and caring community of faith. That's what James is saying here. Now, I don't mean to say that there isn't a level where we should receive this as an individual. Like I I should hear the encouragement that if I'm suffering, I ought to pray. Absolutely. But I believe the full context here is about being in community together. So let's just kind of go verse by verse here. So point number one this morning, I just wanna talk about prayer. I mean, it permeates this whole passage, but the importance of prayer within our community life. Verse 13, once again, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. First of all, I just wanna propose to you that these aren't two separate thoughts. These aren't two separate thoughts. Uh, Prayer, in this context, it's like it's petition. It's asking God to do something. Someone's suffering, God help. (laughs) Like we see that simple prayer throughout scripture. We see people who encounter Jesus pray that simple prayer. They don't know what else to say, so they just go, Jesus, help. The prayer of suffering, it's petition. But praise is a form of prayer. It's expressing gratitude to God. It's thanksgiving. And so this is not so much two separate thoughts. It is a way of life. And and I just, again, to emphasize the point, I wanna highlight to you that this isn't about an individual thing. First of all, look at the, the words. Is anyone among you? Anyone in your midst? He's talking to a group of people. Hey, you people, have some awareness of the people in your midst who may be suffering. Pray. Have awareness of people in your midst who are celebrating There's something to be grateful for. Celebrate together. This is a community invitation. In fact, even the way this is interpreted, again, I'm not saying it's wrong necessarily, but like when we're looking at the Hebrew and the Old Testament, the Greek and the New Testament, you know, we're trying to figure out how do I express this in English? And so, you know, um, these two phrases, let him pray, let him sing praise. Those two phrases, what's actually there in the Greek, it just says, if anyone's suffering, pray. If anyone's cheerful, praise. Praise. So I would say it's not, it's not either or, it's both. If you're an individual who is struggling, pray. But in the context of our community life together, there is a call to have some awareness of one another and go, hey, I see this going on in your life. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord together with this. Friends, I just wanna encourage you, like one of the biggest issues in our culture, and I would then suggest, therefore, in our own reading and understanding of scripture and our walk with the Lord, is our culture is incredibly individualistic. And so, so much of our life of faith, we view as my walk with Jesus, as opposed to our walk with Jesus. 
we were never intended to walk alone. Even the whole concept of being a follower of Christ, of being a disciple of Jesus is meant to communicate, I need community. Not this lone soldier following Jesus by myself. Now listen, I fully believe if you are isolated, if you're alone, the Lord's there with you. If you're single and you live alone, he's with you. He's got you, he sees you. But also you're invited into the family of God. Participate in it, right? And so we're meant to walk together. What James is saying is that there is great power when the body of Christ comes together and prays. Now, I wanna take a moment before we move beyond this verse to just highlight the two conditions that James brings up here. And he's gonna bring up another in the next verse. But he brings up two conditions that we may find ourselves in. First is suffering. He says, if someone's suffering, this this word kind of includes within it the idea of um, suffering evil, being afflicted, or going through a hardship. It even means being afflicted to the point where I'm troubled or dejected. Like this is just hard. Life is hard and I'm struggling. I feel like there's an external attack going on. I feel like I'm just in a season that is difficult. It's a struggle and I'm feeling defeated. That's the idea behind this word. How many of you know when you're in that place, you need some people to come alongside you and link arms and go, man, let's go the Lord together. I see you, you're not alone in this. Not preach at them like, suck it up. (laughs) The Bible says we're gonna be okay, so put a fake smile on your face. No, get in it with people where they are. Guys, the only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone. And it is so easy to fall into that trap. It's so easy to feel like you're alone when you're suffering and then to pull away and to isolate. And I've watched this in my own life, man. I'll feel like, oh, it's gonna be a burden if I put that on my wife or if they got a lot going on too and you suffer alone. Or then you start to feel isolated, like, man, nobody seems to notice what I'm going through. And so because nobody's reaching out, I just pull back and feel alone instead of going, help, help, pray with me. And when we isolate like that, what is sure to follow is feeling isolated from the Lord. When I start to feel alone and abandoned by other people around me, that pretty quickly turns to like, Lord, how are you, why are you allowing me to go through this? Where are you in this? And I can feel isolated from him. And so if we're suffering, we see it, we come together, we pray. The second condition James gives is this word cheerful. Now in this context, like he, he literally means to be cheerful. Like I'm in good spirits, things are good. But this word cheerful also can mean to take heart even when things aren't good. It means to be able to find joy even when things are difficult. In fact, this word only shows up in one other place in the New Testament and it's used three times in one passage. And it's the story in Acts chapter 27. I would encourage you to read the full story on your own. It's a powerful story. 
I'm just gonna summarize this and give you some bullet points. But in Acts 27, it's the story of Paul being taken to Rome and he had a sense we're not supposed to get on this boat right now because there's a storm coming and there's gonna be trouble. And the captain doesn't listen to him and they go anyways. And, and Paul and everyone on board finds themselves in like the storm of all storms. You guys ever been through like a scary storm? No, nobody's ever been through a scary storm. <laughs> you can interact a little bit. Anybody ever been in like a really scary storm? Like where our house is now, we live up on a hill and we get like crazy wind being up on the hill. And there's really big, old, tall trees behind us in the woods. And sometimes when a storm is coming, we have a hard time telling, am I hearing wind or am I hearing rain? Because the, they get rocking so much and the leaves are making this sound. It's like, is that rain hitting the leaves or is that just the wind blowing through them? And it, it, it gets scary. And like, I don't admit this to my kids because they get scared. So I'm acting tough, but like, I've gotten nervous at times. Thank God, usually when those storms come along, you know, we're, we're going through maybe a few hours, maybe a day. This was a storm unlike a usual storm. I wanna just give you some of the, the descriptive things that are happening in this storm. They're on a boat out at sea in a storm that is going on and on and on. It's unrelenting. Verse 18 in Acts 27 says, it was, they were violently storm-tossed. Do any of my fellow, I get nauseous on a boat folks, can you immediately resonate with like, I'm on a boat and it is violently storm-tossed? Yeah, me and the boat are not the only thing being tossed right now. Sorry, I had to. The youth pastor in me just comes out every so often. Violently storm-tossed. Verse 20, they had seen neither sun nor stars for many days. Days. In fact, later in the passage, it says like 14 days. Like they're in a two-week storm that's unrelenting and they see neither sun nor stars. Now, we've probably never been in a physical storm like that. But I bet if we just get real and get serious for a minute, have we found ourselves in some stormy seasons that feel unrelenting? That lasts days upon weeks, may feel, may turn into months, all right? And it's in this storm. And then, and then finally, verse 20 says, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. I felt that. God, this just feels hopeless. In, in that context, the scripture uses three times this word cheerful. Because this word cheerful can also be translated take heart, and it can also be translated to encourage or to be encouraged. Acts 27, verse 22. Paul encourages them to take heart, to be cheerful. Same word James uses. Yet I now urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. 
For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. How many know we need some people in our boat when there's a storm who hear from God? Cool, then am I willing to be one of those people, right? Like not only am I grateful when one of those people are in my boat with me, but I wanna be one of those people. How do we get there? We pray, we pray. We pray together in the suffering and in the storm. And so Paul's saying, hey, listen, I know this looks rough and guess what? I got some bad news. This boat ain't gonna make it. It's gonna be shipwrecked. But take heart because God has promised something. Let's hold on to his promise together. And in the midst of this storm, we can find some joy that God's faithful. And so he says, take heart. Verse 24, and he said, do not be afraid. Oh, sorry, he's describing what the angel said to him. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. This moment's not gonna end you. There's more life. There's more coming. And behold, God has granted you has granted you all those who sail with you. So the angel said, Paul, your time's not done and all these people with you, their time's not done. So hang in there. And so then again, Paul says, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you. Twice in this passage, he encourages them to take heart. And so they begin to seek a spot to run the ship aground on purpose so they can then get to shore. And so a little bit of time passes here. Now we're gonna pick up in verses 35 and 36. Paul shares a few more words and he encourages them, stop and eat. Take care of yourself. Verse 35. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Verse 36. And they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Twice he speaks encouragement. And then he just says, stop. In the midst of the storm, one of the key reminders that God provides is to take what we do have. Let's partake together. Let's eat. Let's encourage each other. And as they watched Paul in the middle of that storm, encourage them, something shifted, something shifted. They were both things at once. (laughs) They were suffering and then their hearts were cheered. And so in the middle of the storm, they could pray and they could praise. This is what Proverbs is talking about in Proverbs 15, verse 15. All the days of the afflicted, all right, it's the same idea of suffering, afflicted, are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Friends, if we will commit ourselves to being a community that prays, then whether we are in a season of famine or feast, we'll be filled. We'll be filled as we pray for and encourage one another. And so friends, just by way of application, I just wanna encourage you to consider, do I I live my life in such a way where I invite other people in when I'm struggling and stressed or when I'm celebrating? Do I invite them in? And also, am I living life with people in such a way that I recognize when they are suffering 
or when they're cheered? And do I join them in it? Let's not settle for being isolated followers of Christ, struggling alone to grow and mature and endure. Let's link arms and be a community of prayer. Amen? Amen. All right, point number two. Point number one is the importance of prayer. Point number two is the importance of care. We need to care for one another in our communities. Verse 14, James continues, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Friends, we are called to, to pray for one another and we are called to combine that prayer with care. I wanna unpack this a little bit, this idea of the elders anointing with oil. Now, I wanna be upfront with you and just say, like, I, I believe there is power in just doing the thing Jesus asked us to do. I believe that. We practice here at this church, calling the elders. When somebody's sick, man, we anoint with oil, we pray over them, we believe God heals the sick. But I also just wanna say to you that we've got to be careful in our walk of faith, in our walk with the Lord, that we don't start taking these little phrases in the scripture and turning them into some sort of like magical potion or mantra where it's like, this is a formula. And if I do X, Y, Z, it produces this result. And we formalize it. Or we turn it into some just magical thing. Like, no, this is about a way of life together. So I want you to see what James is talking about. So first of all, the sick, this word covers a lot of ground. This can mean just physically sick. Like I'm just sick. I'm not feeling well. All the way to the point of being diseased, even ill to the point of death. Um, it can also mean like not so much sickness or illness, but like it's used in the New Testament to describe lame being lame or blind. So it could be like an ongoing uh, physical issue. It also is used in the context of being weak as it relates to struggling with sin and addiction. It's a big word. Anybody ever struggle with illness? Anybody ever struggle with some long-term issues in your physical body? Anybody ever struggle with sin or addiction in your life? Yeah. In fact, this word can even be used to describe being weak in faith. Paul talks about it in Romans and he tells us to, be, to receive the one who is weak in faith and not argue with them over small matters. This is a big word. And so James is saying, when you find yourselves in one of these categories, I'm tired, I'm sick, I'm struggling physically. I'm struggling my walk with the Lord, with, with sin, with addiction. Man, my faith feels weak. I'm just hanging on by a thread. When you're in that position, your community should come alongside and anoint and pray. Now, we need to talk about this word anoint. Uh, there are two different words in the scripture that both get translated into the word anoint in English. So when, when we hear anoint, usually we're thinking in a very like sacred kind of sense. Um, we see like people, Old and New Testament, get anointed in, to be commissioned. Like a king might be anointed. 
a priest or a prophet might be anointed. Uh, we may pray over and anoint someone stepping into a place of being like a pastor or an elder. That is, that is one particular word. This word in this context for anoint means something different. It's, it's a little, it doesn't have as much of that sense of the sacred in it, although all things are sacred with the Lord. But it really just means the idea of anointing yourself to, to take care of yourself. So it's used in the context of someone like cleaning themselves up. Like Jesus talks about when you're fasting, don't put on this show. He says, go clean yourself up and anoint yourself with oil. It's, it's mostly used in like a medicinal or therapeutic sense. Like someone's wounds are being cared for and they're anointed. Do you see how that changes how we read this verse? This isn't go get the magic potion and rub it on somebody's head and they're healed. The idea is someone is sick or struggling or hurting, care for them, anoint them, come alongside and take care of the need that they're in. I wanna give you some examples of this in the scripture, okay? I'm just gonna bullet point these. Um, some examples of this particular word, anoint, that are in the scripture. There's only like maybe six or seven in the New Testament. One of them is found in Luke chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. This is in my notes if you wanna refer back to it later. It's the story of Jesus having dinner at a Pharisee's house and the sinful woman comes in and her tears, she's crying tears and then wiping his feet with her hair. And then she anoints his feet with oil. It's this word. You see how it communicates this sense of like, it's care. She's at the feet of Jesus. She's in awe of him. It's a symbol of worship even. Jesus, I see that you care about me. I see that in my sin and my brokenness, you receive me. Next example. John chapter 12, verses one through eight. After, after Lazarus' resurrection, his sister Mary is just enthralled with Jesus and what he's done. And she comes in and she anoints his feet again with that expensive ointment, right? It's the thing that bothers Judas. Again, anointing the feet of Jesus in gratitude and thanksgiving for what he's done. In fact, it's this word that's used in Mark 16 when the women are on the way to the tomb after Jesus has died and they're going to care for his body. They don't yet know about the resurrection and they're on their way to anoint his body. Are you getting a sense of the context of how this word is used? And then I wanna read you this one. In the story of the Good Samaritan, when he encounters the man who's been beaten and left for dead by the side of the road, this is what Jesus said he does. Luke 10, verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. That word pouring, another, other Bible translations will say anoint. It's that same word. This is about intentionally caring for those in our midst who are hurting. It's going beyond just saying a prayer, although that is powerful and important. I'm not minimizing it, but it's leaning in and going, I want, I want you to know I'm here for you. I care for you. I want to help. 
And so it's this intentional sense of taking care of one another. The only other time in the New Testament when this word anoint is associated with healing is when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples in his name to touch people's lives and call them to repentance, to call them to the Lord. And so in Mark's gospel, chapter six, I'm gonna read verse seven and then down to verse 12 and 13. Verse seven, he's sending them out. He called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Verse 12. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They went out representing Jesus and they brought a touch of care and healing into people's lives so that they might know the Lord. So they would repent and turn to him. The idea of this word anoint is caring for the sick person, treating their wounds, coming alongside of them and praying for them. That's the image. Friends, what James is inviting us into is to be a community of people who are people of prayer and people of care. Will I allow myself to be inconvenienced when someone else is going through it to provide a healing touch. We'll talk more next week about the, the power of confession in our relationships, but I just need to note here, because this word sick covers so much ground, part of what he's talking about is like, do we know how to be gentle and bring healing when someone's struggling and they're stuck in sin and addiction? Do we know how to do that? Do you know how to hang in there with people who maybe walk with an illness that's kind of like it's, it's lasting a while? They're in a season of depression that's lasting a while. Or do we just have our little 30 second moment of prayer and then move on with our lives? Prayer and care. Point three, there's power. There's power. And the power is directly associated with everything that we've said. And it's associated with people who are people of faith, praying the prayer of faith, and the prayer of being righteous. There's power in that. So we're gonna dive into this a little bit this morning and we'll continue next week. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, what we encounter here, um, there, there's a lot in this verse and I, I can't do an entire sermon right now on faith on prayer and on righteousness. Like we're just not gonna unpack all of that. So I want to call to memory just a moment, the faith that James has already talked about in James, in this letter. And remember the context of this. He's saying the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. James already connected the idea of faith and saving all the way back in part four of this series. Do you remember it? Let me give it to you briefly here. James 2, 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? So he's like a, a faith that is not alive and active, can it really save you? And then that word save, if you remember, we said that word save is used in the New Testament to talk about deliverance and healing. 
the rescue of like somebody literally being at the point of death. And it refers to salvation. It touches every element of sickness we just described in the last verse. And now he's saying here, so if the question in chapter two was like, do you have an active faith? Will that, like, if you don't, do you think that'll save you? Now here he's saying a prayer of faith will save. A prayer of faith has power. I wanna remind you of one more thing James said in chapter two, verses 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the needs for the body, what good is that? So also by faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Remember, we're being called to move beyond good intentions to to a real tangible faith that has an impact. Now James comes back to that in this passage. You see what he's saying? He's saying, guys, a community that prays for each other and that cares for each other, that's real faith. That's faith that's active. That's faith that works. The question he introduced in chapter two, he answers right here. You wanna know a faith that'll save you? That will. You wanna know a faith that'll touch people's lives and buoy them and lift them? A community of prayer that cares for one another. When we walk in that kind of real active faith, it produces something powerful. The word for sick that James uses here in verse 15 is different than the word for sick that he used in verse 14. This word specifically means I've toiled and I'm tired and I'm faint. (laughs) I've become weary. Someone who is weary from all that they are walking through. When the body of Christ come alongside that person and cares for them and tends to them and prays for them, God says that is powerful and effective and will save them. And then he says this phrase, the Lord will raise them up. That word raise up, it gets used in in the context of resurrection. Like when Lazarus is raised, it's also used in the context of being raised out of being sluggish or lethargic. (laughs) Like when I just don't have it in me anymore to keep going when someone comes alongside of me who cares for me and prays for me and tends to me, God does something miraculous there. He lifts up the weary and gets them back on their feet. Have you ever been lifted like that by a brother or sister who's come alongside to pray and encourage? And I have. Changes things at a level I can't even fully describe. It just, it changes things. It's a powerful prayer. The prayer of faith. In closing, verse 16, therefore confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now specifically, I wanna put a pin in this idea of confession because that's what we're talking about next Sunday. A community that finds healing by being able to be real with one another. 
But I want to just highlight this word righteousness, the righteous person. That word righteous, it, like there's a, a theological treasure trove of verses on this throughout the New Testament. I just want to remind us how we could ever be called righteous. Romans five nineteen. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What makes us righteous? Jesus. Jesus. In fact, Galatians 3.11, Paul says this. Now it is evident that no one is justified. That's the same word, justified and righteous. The same that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The prayer of a righteous person and the prayer of faith, they, they collectively work together to do something powerful. Why is that? Well, first of all, it takes faith just to receive the righteousness of God. To even be in right standing with him takes a radical amount of faith. So how can that affect my prayer life? Well, if I'm living in the reality of the fact that I'm trusting God for the single most important thing, like if the single most important thing in my life is my very salvation, if I have faith to trust him for that, then how much more can I trust him with this particular thing that I'm facing right now? That faith leads to this faith the righteousness that I have. Wow, God, I'm righteous before you. I'm in right standing with you. You love me. You've saved me. Well, surely I can bring this to you. Surely I can stand with my brother or sister as we contend for this issue in their life. Faith leads to faith. It's like a snowball effect. Additionally, and this will dovetail into next Sunday's message, additionally, when I'm coming alongside or a, bro a brother or a sister who is struggling and I'm coming alongside to care for them and to pray with them and to stand in faith with them and for them, part of how I'm able to do that is because I remember my own weakness. God forbid that I walk with the Lord long enough that I start to think I have a lot to do with this. Oh, poor you, you'll get it one day. We probably don't physically do that in the moment. Anybody ever felt like somebody's doing that with you though? You laugh because you know I'm right. <laughs> it's horrible. No wonder people don't feel safe in the church community to be looked down on and belittled like that. You know why the prayer of the righteous man avails much because a righteous man knows I am not righteous. I fall far short and it's only the grace of God that allows me to stand where I stand. And now here's a brother or sister who's hurting and how can I not just come with humility and sensitivity because I've been right there. And thank God that he brought me up out of that. So let me stand with my brother or sister and let's cry out to him together. God, bring healing. God, bring freedom. God, touch my friend who is wounded and struggling and let me get in it with them. Let me pray with the one who is suffering. Let me tend to them 
And then together, let's link arms with whatever faith we can muster. Thank God for the gift of faith. And let's watch the power that takes place in a community like that. Is that a powerful community? Is that the kind of community we wanna be in? Then let's participate in it. Amen? Amen. I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna read this verse sort of just as a closing and I'll probably just go into prayer from it. I just wanna let it speak for itself, okay? This is from Matthew 25. I didn't even put it on the screen. You can, you can close your eyes if you want or keep them open, whatever. Just wanna read this and then pray. Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Praise you, Lord Jesus. God, would you do this work in our hearts? God, as we endure the ups and downs of this life, walking with you, may we be committed to you and committed to each other in real intentional community. God, praying for one another, caring for one another, growing in faith as we look to you together to do what we can't. God, what a gift that you've made us righteous in your sight. Wow. Lord, thank you for the, the privilege to care for one another. God, we don't get to, at least physically on this earth, anoint your feet with oil and with our tears. But you tell us when we do it to the least of these, we've done it to you. Thank you that we can express love and gratitude back to you by caring for your kids that you love. God, individually and as a church community, may we be people of prayer. May we be people of care. And God, may we walk in faith and in righteousness and watch you move powerfully in our lives, in our homes, in this church community, and in our city right here in Knoxville. People need you, Jesus. May we participate with you in caring for one another. It's in your name we pray, amen.